she had done it before But this time the choice was hers She threw the bottles in the trash And rolled the trash to the curb And and so the long game with respect to sobriety starts with can i name my pain can i sit in my pain and feel it without needing to eat drink do whatever porn um can i sit in that pain can i invite christ into that pain and then can i cultivate a prayerful imagination for what it looks like for Christ to walk in that pain with me. That was Seth Haynes, one of my dear friends and the author of the book Coming Clean, A Story of Faith, which he released about two years ago, but he's re-releasing during Sobriety Month, which is this September. Uh, I loved this conversation with Seth. I love any time I can get with Seth. He's so inspiring to me. He's so grounded. And I think you're going to love the rest of this conversation. So enjoy. And then stick around at the end. I'm going to tell you how you can get involved in some giveaways for the Coming Clean uh, Sobriety Month re-release. So stick around until the end of the podcast. And I'll let you know how to get involved with that. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. Seth, my friend, my first question for you is, uh, ever since the release of Coming Clean two years ago, there's been a lot of changes in your life. So um, talk to me about what you've been doing since Coming Clean came out. Yeah. Wow. That's That, that could take days, couldn't it? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so yeah, when Coming Clean came out, I was a practicing attorney at the largest firm in the state of Arkansas, which for most of your listeners um, is probably like a micro firm, you know, I mean, we're not, we weren't as big as the firms you have there in the Twin Cities for sure. Uh, but I, I spent my, uh, you know, nine to five or probably more likely seven to six there practicing law. Um, and then towards the end of last year, it was almost actually a, a, a year ago, um, I got a call from an agent, a uh, literary agent, a Christian literary agent, and he wanted me to speak with a gentleman that he had on his roster to see if I could help write a book. Um, and I had a couple phone calls with this this fellow. He's a guy down in, in Dallas, and he's a 17-year ALS survivor, which is unheard of. Yeah, wow. Um and I spent some time with him, and I, I started to listen to his story, and he started to teach me about what it means to be intimate with God, what is true intimacy with God. When you lose your ability to provide financially, when you lose your ability to walk around, when you lose your ability to do anything, um, even breathe, really, what does it mean um, to be intimate with God? And as I began to listen to him, I just thought, you know, man, this, this might be the pearl of great price. And this might be the thing that I need to hawk everything for and, and run after. So I visited him out in Colorado, and I spent uh, about a week with him. And after spending a week with him, I, I flew back to Arkansas. I called my managing partner, and I said, I have this opportunity to write this book about intimacy with God with this ALS survivor, and I think I need to resign my partnership. So I resigned. 
at the end of September, effective October 1, 2016. And for the last year, I've been working on that book and working with other authors and writers to bring their ideas uh, to life to the page. So it's been a huge transition for me, a completely different business, um, but it's been a whole lot of fun, man. Yeah. And I mean, just as we've talked and texted back and forth over the last year, um, and even even as I've seen pictures of you running more lately and stuff like that, the joy level in you seems to be significantly higher, um, you know, than it was even when we would talk and you'd be, you know, in between appointments at the law firm and stuff. So, uh, so that's, I mean, I, I just, I, I encourage you that that was the right move. Man, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a, oh, sorry, not to cut you off. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So speaking of the joy, I mean, there's yesterday I was talking with an attorney, an old colleague, a friend of mine, and she's doing some research on attorney burnout and attorney addiction. And she pointed me to some stats yesterday, uh, that were mind blowing and um, and and it, they come from the Betty Ford, the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation. And the stat is that 21% of licensed employed attorneys qualify as problematic drinkers. 21%. Wow. Um, and and she indicated that if you drill down into the research, if you if you look at attorneys under 40, that number jumps to over 30%. Um, in addition to that, you know, you have 20, it says 28% struggle with some level of depression and 19% demonstrate symptoms of anxiety. So for me, getting away from the practice of law and really looking at what does it mean to be intimate with, with Christ? What does it really mean to, to dig into um, knowing yourself and knowing God? Those things released me from so much of the performance anxiety um, that, that kind of went along with the practice of law. Yeah, and that's that's. I'm so glad you brought that up, Seth, because that's one of the things that strikes me as maybe it's not unique to um, people in recovery, but your pathway is so intertwined with your desire for intimacy with Christ, intimacy with God, um, and even in the tiny letter that you wrote this morning, as you talked about the principle and foundation. Uh, can you talk a little more about that as it relates to desire and? you know, the things that God has made has, you know, did, did God make beer for good for people's good? And if so, um, how does that relate to your intimacy with God and, and our inability sometimes to control our desire to over satiate? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a little bit of foundation in my own life. You know, I was raised, um, in a charismatic Baptist tradition. My earliest memories were in a charismatic Baptist tradition, and so I was always like seeing these expressions of, of God's, you know, manifestation, quote unquote, whether or not it was, who knows, you know, I was five, six at the time. Um, and then as I got older um, and we began to go to a more stolid tradition, more, you know, uh, straight laced Southern Baptist church, a lot of that kind of went away. You know, it was a lot of talk about head knowledge and um, the only truth you can know is the truth from the scriptures and the spirit speaks to us through the scriptures and all of this stuff was bound up in this book. Yeah. And none of it really felt super experiential. Um, but then I would go into the Catholic services with my father was Catholic at the time and I would go into these Catholic services um, at school. I was in a Catholic school 
And I would see and hear these priests talk about knowing God um, through the Eucharist, through, through actually drinking his blood and eating his flesh. Um, and it was this most beautiful, it was the most beautiful representation that man and God can be intimate, that we can feast on uh, Christ and that he can be with and in us, you know, just like uh, alcohol, just like bread, just the wine, the bread can be in us. And I think for me, those dichotomies have always sort of driven me. Um, you know, there, there's this very rational side of me that is an innate doubter. I've struggled with doubt probably my whole life. Yeah. Um, but then through these experiences in the, in the Catholic Church, I saw a people who really craved and wanted and desired intimacy um, with Christ, and in some respects found it. And it was the antidote to that sort of doubting, logic-based faith, you know. So for me, the idea of being intimate, intimate with Christ has driven me for as long as I can remember. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I walked into sobriety that I really understood that that that, that is the heart of sobriety. That's the key. Yeah. Um, and so this morning when I was talking or when I wrote this morning about uh, the principle and foundation of the Jesuits, it's the idea and the notion is that we as humans are created to praise and reverence and serve God. Um, and, and in doing this, praising, loving, serving God, we, we become so united with him uh, that we end up having our souls saved from the world, from the things of the world. But the other idea of the principle and foundation is that God created everything in the world for our good. Everything is a means of pointing to him, right? Yeah. So beer with your friend can be a means of pointing you to the end of Christ in the world. You know, uh, a glass of wine with your wife celebrating your anniversary. Like these are amoral things. Um, sex is meant for good, right? Like, you know, we, we know it's procreation. It's pleasurable. It's fun. All those things, you know. But all of these things also can be used as distractions, overused, overimbibed, oversexed. You know, you can use all of these things um, as ways to distract you from whatever, and yeah. to hinder your and to hinder your connection, your intimate connection with God. And the principle and the foundation would say, if you notice those things in your life, those amoral things, the things that God created for your good, being used as your fix, then you need to get rid of them. Yeah. And that is the basis. To me, that's the basis of, of true sobriety. I love that. And talk to me a little bit about how your understanding of true sobriety or inner sobriety has matured over the last two or three or four years. Yeah, man, it's changed a lot. I think, I think back to the time that we were uh, talking on your porch, was that a year ago? Um, gosh, was it a year? It must, it couldn't have been two years. So yeah, it must've been a year ago this like summer. A, yeah, it was this, yeah, it was in the summer. It was yeah. blazing hot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. Uh, yeah. So when we were sitting on your back porch a year and a half ago and I was talking about inner sobriety kind of for the first time, in fact, I think you were the first person I really sort of started working this idea, this notion out of inner sobriety. Um, to me, it was really less about drinking at the time. And it was more about, am I at peace? Yeah. Is there a stillness in my soul? Uh, am I at rest? 
am I craving anything above God or is God my primary fix? You know, that was kind of the, the notion. But over the last two years, I've really begun to extrapolate that out into a series of questions, series of thoughts, asking myself, what, what, what is the point, you know? What is the point of this? Is the point of sobriety to drink or not to drink? Um, is the point of sobriety to have sex or not have sex? And there's a, a really good friend of mine that kind of helped me in a season put this together. And she had struggled with an eating disorder for a really long time. And she said, you know, you're the luckiest guy in the room. And I said, why? And she said, well, because, you know, for me, um, I can't not eat. Right. I have to eat. And every time I see food and every time I eat, it's a trigger. Yeah. You know, but you can just not drink. And that was the moment where it sort of clicked for me that um, just abstaining alone is not sobriety. Right. There's a got to be a bigger question. The bigger question is the, the question is not to drink or not to drink. The question has to be bigger. Yeah. It has to be can I be around alcohol and not be triggered? Can I uh, be in a situation, a social situation that would require everyone to say a, you know, say a toast, to raise a glass and not be triggered? Can I go to the communion rail at church and drink the wine from the cup and look at the wine, feel the wine, taste the wine, let it burn, and as it goes down, say, this is not my poison, this is my salvation. And that's the switch, man. When you make that switch to what once was my vice, now is a signifier of the grace of God in my life, that's inner sobriety. Wow. I think that's such a huge thing, and I think it, it, it begs um, a lot more conversation. Because I think uh, there's a part of me, even, as I think about my own addictions, the things that I go to uh, that are just so much okay, I'm going to say this and it's going to sound weird, but so much more reliable than mm -hmm. Christ. You know, like if I pour myself a tall glass of bourbon, I know for a little while I'm going to feel a certain feeling and it is really predictable. But if I sit down in my chair in the morning and try to, or go to take Eucharist like I do every week, mm -hmm. I, it doesn't feel as predictable. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's gone. And so can you talk about sort of the, the habits, the, the, the long game that you've gotten to um, that would help someone maybe want to take a step toward, I mean, this is sobriety month and we'll talk more about sort of what you're doing with that later, but talk about the long game and talk about um, the questions that you had to ask yourself and have to ask yourself in order to, to start to, to get a grasp on inner sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. The questions haven't evolved quite as much as the end goal over time. You know, I, I think we've talked before and maybe we even talked about the last time I was on the podcast about um, how the primary question is what is the pain, you know, what is underneath yeah. the need uh, to drink? What is underneath the, the need? What is underneath the need to overeat or to be bulimic or to do heroin or whatever? And um, psychologists, scientists, everybody sort of has their own opinion on this. 
um, Gabor Mate, who, who writes incredible books on addiction and sobriety, he, he, he says it's always the pain, right? Yeah, yeah. Underneath every addiction is always the pain. So, some have taken umbrage with that. But what I can tell you now after reading you know, scores of books on addiction, in every story, there's a pain point yeah. every time. So I think for me, the foundational question of discovering sobriety is what is the pain? Yeah. And, and so the long game with respect to sobriety starts with, can I name my pain? Can I sit in my pain and feel it without needing to eat, drink, do whatever, porn? Um, can I sit in that pain? Can I invite Christ into that pain? And then can I cultivate a prayerful imagination for what it looks like for Christ to walk in that pain with me. So here's a good example of this. It doesn't come from my own life, but it's a great example. This guy that I've been talking with, John Payne, who has ALS, he had a primary pain point in his life where everybody always sort of thought he was dumb or thought he wasn't enough. Um, and whenever he would communicate with his wife, he would put up these big, you know, this big blustery, like I am the big man, you know, uh, because for all of his life, he'd been treated like, you know, he wasn't smart enough. He wasn't big enough. He wasn't manly enough, you know? Yeah. And, and after about 20 years of this, you can imagine this, uh, this ran, this, this act ran thin and his wife began to reciprocate, uh, by really treating him unfairly. In yeah. a lot of ways, yeah. in a lot of situations. And one day uh, he has a really bad spat with his wife and he walks off and he sits in the silence. He'd just been diagnosed with ALS about two years before. And he'd begun the practice of silence and solitude. And he sat down and he said, God, I feel like I am being treated so unfairly by my wife. This is not fair. And God, he said, I very clearly felt God ushering me and asking me and inviting me in to explore the pain of my life. And so as I did, I began to think about all the times in my life that I had been treated unfairly. And he said, I just had example after example of unfairness, unfairness, unfairness. And about the time I was about to wallow in this, like, everybody hates me. It's so unfair. He said, I literally almost heard the voice of Christ saying, do you think I know a little something about being treated unfairly? (laughs) Wow. And and so God was inviting him to cultivate this new imagination for prayer, this new way of speaking with him, of being invited into the life of Christ to experience Christ's pain and for Christ to experience his pain. And it was uh, the moment that really began to unravel um, a lot of his past pain for him. What I love about hearing, what I love about that story is that, you know, if the primary question is what is the pain or where is the pain? In my experience, even as a pastor, but even as a person, uh, once you get in touch with that pain, that's usually accompanied by an intense feeling of loneliness, that you mm-hmm. are alone in that pain. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that, is, that, that is a wave that will wash you away. And mm-hmm. so the reality of intimacy that Christ might just walk with you in that and sit with you in that and feel it with you and allow you to feel some of his marginalization and pain is pretty extraordinary to me. 
Um, and that starts to answer the question of the long game for me. Like, because what alcohol or any of my other addictions don't do is address any long-term thing. I mean, it's at best a very short uh, spurt of, you know, maybe it's a uh, dopamine hit or whatever it is, but it does not address the loneliness. It doesn't address the isolation. Um, so I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it numbs you for a skinny minute, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. But, but then what happens when you're not numb anymore? Yeah. You hurt again. Yeah. You know? And you and, usually and just, feel some shame. Yeah. Oh, always. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, almost always, almost. Always. But but this and this is what John would has taught me over this last year is that, you know, you speak of long game. That is the beginning of the long game because once you can say, "I'm going to go to Christ with my pain and cultivate this like prayerful imagination for how we engage and interact um, together." Um, Instead of turning to the booze, I mean, yeah. John could have just gone to grab a drink, right? Um, what do you do after a hard day? You just grab a drink, right? He could have done that. Um, but as you cultivate this type of prayerful presence with, with the Spirit, what John found is then um, he had that same prayerful presence when success came and when comfort came and when triumph came, you know, yeah. all these great – when great things, bad things, painful things, joyful things happen, you have the ability to, to imagine uh, yourself within the life of Christ and Christ's life on this earth and how he celebrated those things and how he was perfectly connected with God in those things. Um, and that's where real prayer, you know, kind of starts. Yeah, and this is, um, gosh, this feels like both simple and graduate level. You know, because simple in the sense that, uh, like my kids, when they're hurting, they still, they're still young enough to come to me and want to be hugged or held or, you know, they still burst out crying if, if something is really bothering them. And so they run to intimacy right away and they're really out loud about what hurts. They're, um, they, they don't seem to feel a lot of shame even if it's a small thing but somewhere along the way that you know when we're 15 16 17 21 22 42 43 um that's certainly not okay to to weep about our you know our pain which feels maybe silly even to us um but what happens then if we're not honest about it and if we don't go to God with that weeping is we have to go somewhere with it, right? I mean, we yeah. like, the pain, we cannot bury it. It's like a beach ball mm. that you try to push mm. down under the water. That thing is going to come up. Mm -hmm. So um, this is such an important conversation. Um, and I agree big time. Sobriety is not just about abstaining. Uh, it has to be, it has to be bigger. So you are kind of re-releasing Coming Clean this month during Sobriety Month. Tell us about that and what you're doing and what your hopes are. Yeah, so so this month is National Recovery Month and it's a, it's a month where we celebrate people who have uh, overcome both 
chemical dependency, but also mental health issues, depression, anxiety, um, and that have submitted themselves to the recovery process, which is, you know, like you just said, it's very revealing, right? It's yeah. painful. And it outs you as, as somebody who doesn't have it all together. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to sort of revisit the message of coming clean because even, you know, years after, so, so it, it's been released now two years um, and then obviously it was, it was written a year before that. So three years into this journey for me, almost four years into this journey for me, um, I go back and I read those journal entries, those first days of my own, you know, uh, sobriety. And I look and I say like, this is the stuff of recovery. Yeah. Like being honest with where you're hurting, being honest with what you're using to cover that hurt and desperately searching for the answer, um, to heal the pain, to comfort the pain that is not found in the bottle. Like that's the stuff of recovery. And so I was actually going back and sort of looking through, uh, reading through coming clean last month. And I decided, you know, I'm going to try to make another big push this national recovery month, just to raise awareness around the idea that, um, we all are addicted to something. Yeah. We're all drunk on something. Um, and in fact, I'll, I'll share a story cause I know you're a pastor. And so this is relevant to you, uh, about, Six months ago, I spoke at a church uh, to a group of church planners about this very issue. What is pain? What is addiction? What is sobriety? And a guy came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, I didn't know I was here. I didn't think that I would have anything to learn from this. He said, but as you were talking about what is addiction, what are the things that motivate, that drive you, that give you that dopamine hit, you know, that, that stimulate your base core desires? He said, man... I can't stop running the numbers yeah. on church growth. Like, how, how have our tithes gone up? How many more people do we have? What are strategies to get home? How do we grow our church? How do we divide? How do we, you know, church plant? How do we, do, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, man, I just woke to the realization that I'm addicted to those things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the work of National Recovery Month, saying, where do you have pain points? Where are you trying to solve those pain points with some sort of, of, uh, of sort of addictive, uh, complex, um, some coping mechanism. And then how do you come clean with those? And, and so that's why I decided maybe it's time to sort of re up the message. I love that. <laughs> I'm laughing because that example you gave is just so beautiful and true on so many levels. Um, and not only am I a pastor, but I'm a church planter. And I think yeah. part of the issue is like, no one's trying to set up a system where people are going to get addicted to those kinds of things. But on the other hand, the very system, most church planting systems um, are created out of a good desire to help people connect with God. Yeah. And, yeah. and that gets so mixed up with the people that the stories that get celebrated are the churches that are growing and the churches that are reproducing and multiplying and the pastors that seem to be, you know, hitting it, whatever that means. Uh, but I just, I mean, I, Seth, I, I ran into two church planners this, I was out East speaking at this thing and there was two church planners that I know. And uh, I asked them both how, how it's going. And both of them are like, they're just barely hanging on. There's not enough people to sustain their salary. They feel a sense of um, failure and shame. 
And it's just, oh my gosh. And then on the other hand, I know pastors that they're doing well. And number one, it's not enough. But number two, they're comparing themselves to people who aren't doing quite as well. And it's just like, you can be addicted to a good thing. A good thing can turn bad. And that's what makes it so like for those of us in this field of pastoring or I don't know, maybe it's counseling. It's, it's to get below the layer of, you know, I'm doing this good thing to, oh my gosh, this good thing that I'm doing, I am absolutely addicted to. Yeah. Uh, is really, really tough to get honest about that. You know, because then you're like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Just quit? <laughs> like, is that the answer? Yeah. Yeah. You have a family to feed, right? You yeah. have a mortgage. How do you, yeah. how do you just quit? You know, I think, I think a lot of this, and this is, you know, may, maybe this is something I'll be ready to talk about more in, in another two or three years, but I've been thinking a lot about um, the way the power structures of the world feed our addictions. I talked a, bit, a little bit about this with you in Minnesota, but about how um, the world knows, right, that we've been wired to consume, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so our brains release dopamine when we have a really good meal, and that dopamine um, is a reward for the brain to say, hey, look, this was a good thing. You need to do this again, right? Yeah. Sex, we have a dopamine release. Hey, this was a good thing. We need to do this again. Well, the world knows that. Yeah. And they've hijacked our brains. You know, um, they've, they've mainlined messages directly into um, the sort of reptilian portion of our brain to say, well, hey, if a little bit is good, if a little dopamine hit is good, like, let's not just have a bit of sugar. Let's have a whole pack of Oreos. Yeah. You know, and this is why marketing is so important, right? Like they, they want you to know this is what you need to do to survive. And, um, and not only to survive, but this is what we want you to do so that our company is profitable. <laughs> yep. And I, I think about that on so many levels, man. Isn't that sort of the same bag you, you, you would run into in church planning? Absolutely. Like, hey, this is a good thing. Cultivating connection with God is a good thing, right? But the messages of the church market are that, hey, a 50-member church plant's not good enough. No. You need a thousand. Yeah. You need a multi-site church, you know, yeah. and and so it hijacks your your good motivations and drives you to do these things and to become addicted to these things that really weren't in the framework in the first place. I know. It it is remarkable how uh, the system it just sneaks its way into everywhere. Uh, yeah, man. It really does. And thus the need, I think, for uh, a sober, to use that word intentionally, reflection on what is it that I'm enjoying that's really, really good. But what, like in your tiny letter today, you challenged us to make a list of, you know, some of the things that are good, but that maybe we are overindulging on that we're demanding uh to to that the dopamine hit just keeps keeps coming um and so can you just run that run that challenge uh kind of explain that uh you know if people are sort of resonating oh man yeah that's this is what i go to uh give us that challenge yeah so i think what i challenge what i would challenge people to do what i did today was i challenged people to say what are the things that god created for my good what are the things that God knew 
he was going to give humans the ingenuity to create these things um, that will help them in certain ways, right? So alcohol. There are good beneficial things to alcohol. They make It makes the heart merry, right? We all know that. Yeah. Um, it's good for a celebration. Um, uh, here's another one. Uh, uh, shopping, right? Shopping. You have to shop. It's good for the soul to shop because you need clothes to keep warm and food to eat. Um, here's another one. Social media was not a negative thing, particularly when it first started. It yeah. was a way for us to help like engage and connect and spread messages. But in any one of these areas where we begin to be so connected to social media that it distracts us from the work, the soul work that we need to do. And guess what, man, my hand is raised. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, you know, to, to call a thing a thing, like this is one of my struggles right now. Right. Um, alcohol, in, instead of doing the good, hard soul work, uh, when you feel lonely or pain, do you turn to the alcohol? Um, even if you're not an addict, I mean, even if it's just, hey, man, I don't over drink, but like every time I feel pain, you know, every three or four days, I knock a few back, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, whatever it is, whatever those things are, do I spend my time on the Internet? Click, 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 shopping, 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 even if I don't buy anything and that distracts me from the soul work I need to do. Whatever those things are, the amoral things, the things God created for our good that we are now overusing, write those things down and take a really hard inventory. Be honest. You know, am I going to sugar? Am I going to uh, running? I have a friend who tells me the only reason I run is because I'm trying to outrun my problems. Yeah. Well, he's just getting his runners high every day instead of dealing with his garbage, you know? Yeah. So, so whatever it is, like write those things down, list them, make a list, and then in prayer, take those uh, to God and say, God, how do I let these go? Like, what are the strategies uh, for me to bring these to you and to let these go and to put you back in the primary position, you as the primary fix for my life? Yeah. And I think... Isn't it important to, you know, so you're writing these things down. Maybe there's five things. Maybe there's ten things. Yeah. Um, to sort of sit with that with God for a little bit. Like, right? Like, don't don't make some crazy New Year's resolution in the moment that you're going to give all of them up right now. Right? Like, like no. actually sit with God with that before you rush to judgment or rush to a decision. Right? Yeah, no, and I, I that that is, I mean, that's my primary practice is to evaluate and to look and to say, okay, this is a season where for whatever reason I am finding myself more drawn to social media and less drawn to my real life community. Yeah. God, I'm confessing that to you. I'm sitting in that with you. Help me figure this out. Yeah. And sometimes it, it you know, it takes a day. Sometimes it takes a month yeah. or you know, if you're uh, struggling with alcohol dependency, it may take three, four, five years. Yeah. Um, but you can't rush the process. And what I tell people all the time, especially people who say, I don't hear from God, you know, people that come in from those stolid traditions, yeah. like I did, who say, well, God only speaks through Scripture, and I don't understand through Scripture, so I don't hear God. I tell them, do the practices, right? Mm-hmm. Get in solitude, get in silence, confess make your list, ask God to come visit you. And you know how many people have told me that that did not work? Zero. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Well, and I think it's, you know, it's drilling it down and, and I love that just, okay. So imagine yourself sitting on your favorite chair and maybe you have to get a pen and paper because that's how you think best. That's fine. But then just saying, okay, God, I, I'm, I'm not going to wallow in shame here, but I am going to, I am going to confess. I'm going to list some of the things that, that I overuse. Mm. And then I love your imaginative prayer. You just, just imagine God's loving gaze on you. You know, it's not, God's not disgusted with you. God's not surprised by your revelation. Um, God's with you in it. And God will sit with you in it and God will help you. Christ, the Christ, which is inside of you, will actually move with you toward um, whatever you need to move toward. And I think that picture um, needs to come back to us again and again. The loving gaze, right? The loving gaze. It's not a punitive gaze. It's not a shaming gaze. And I think that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid to sit with with anyone with that because we're so afraid we're going to be utterly rejected and even be more alone yeah yeah but you know we talk all the time we we say these things you know that 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 christ took death he crucified uh death and shame and um those things sound like good things until it comes time to sit alone in your pain, right. you know, and confess those things. But like you said, man, if you can really imagine that your shame was literally tacked up on those wooden beams, man, and that God is now not looking at you through the lens of shame and guilt, but through the lens of, oh, that's already been taken care of. Yeah. You know, I, I love you. Yeah. You're my, you're my friend. Yeah. Um, if you can begin to like really cultivate that kind of prayer and that sort of uh, a thought uh, in your in your morning prayer time or evening prayer time or lunch hour, um, then these things really start to open up and you you begin to be less afraid of yourself. Yeah, and it takes time, man. Really, I just think it takes yeah. time. It takes time. Yeah. It takes time. And that's yeah. one of the things I love about your book, actually. Um, so if you're not familiar with Coming Clean, it's just the story of the first 90 days of Seth's sobriety. And it really is compelling. I mean, it's first of all, it's gorgeous writing. But second of all, it's a real model for someone who's right at the beginning of sobriety, of the journey of sobriety. And I remember you telling me, or maybe I read this I, uh, in your book, but like in the first months, you and Amber, because you have four boys, and I mean, like, I can imagine your life is nuts, you know, but but you had an agreement at, that at night you just needed like two or three hours alone where you could journal yeah. and, and write. Um, and so yeah. this is yeah. a journey, like if you live with a spouse or, you know, family, you know, I think there's a, this is a communal journey towards sobriety, right, where you need to um, be out loud about some of your needs and, and sort of figure out how to how to move through some of the, the really, really tough times um, of the day uh, when yeah. you really feel like this is my time where I go toward this. And so I'm going to struggle right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people have this, <coughs> excuse me. I think a lot of people have this misconception that I was, you know, super open and vulnerable with everybody in my community from the very beginning, you know, like I was telling everybody, about my struggle. And that's just not the fact. I mean, the truth is, um, Amber knew 
from yeah. day one. Yeah. Um, I had two friends that I drank with a good bit, uh, and I had to tell them um, because uh, one, they were both believers and they were in different spheres. So that's how I was getting away with it, right? I would drink hard with one or moderately with one and moderately with another, which equals over drinking, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, so I told both of, of those guys, um, I told one of my pastoral staff and then um, that was kind of it. And yeah. all of those people made space for me. So Amber made space for me in the evenings. Um, my friends that I drank with on the afternoon would make space to come in and say, Hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? You know, are you, you know, are you jonesing for a drink right now? Whatever. Um, and then the guy that I told that was on pastoral staff, I, I actually led worship with him. Um, he made space for me to continue leading worship. Yeah. And as I did, he, he helped me sort of work out like, what does it mean to walk into new sober worship? And, um, so yeah, it's super important that, that it be a communal effort. And if you're married, man, I think it has to start with your spouse. Yeah. 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 I think it's, a, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a journey that's going to require more of you than you think. So I, I think having support, but also, right. I mean, like people are yeah. going to need to give you some space and that, that will potentially be a sacrifice at first for some of the other folks, uh, in your life. Um, yeah. All right. So wrapping up here, Seth, we're almost out of time, but how can people kind of get involved with you and your work, not only during this month, but, um, but on like where, you know, if, if people are interested in getting in touch with you and reading your stuff, where do they go? Yeah. So they can go to sethhaines.com for just my, um, it's my blog site. Um, I also write a monthly, a bi-monthly, so twice a month, tiny letter. Um, and that tiny letter just just is kind of reflections on uh, different things, sometimes sobriety, sometimes marriage, sometimes just art and life and those kinds of things. And you can find that at tinyletter.com slash S-E-T-H-H-A-I-N-E-S, Seth Haynes. Um, so tinyletter.com slash Seth Haynes. And then, yeah, just go grab a copy of Coming Clean. And I, I love to field uh, emails and um, you know, Twitter DMs and all kinds of things about uh, the process of recovery and, and uh, anything Coming Clean related. It's fantastic. And I'm going to give away two copies of Coming Clean uh, to the first people that email me uh, and say that they want one. So just email me at Steve at steveweens.com, that's W-I-E-N-S.com, and I will send you those um, because this is a book you got to read. And I would say, um, you know, it's interesting, when I, when our, Seth, at our last conversation, there's people that told me that they read the book that, as far as I know, were not actively in recovery of anything, but it was just such a um, an eye-opening journey for friends perhaps that they yeah. that they had that were in recovery so i would say um most of us are either in recovery of some some kind or have a loved one that is in some recovery of some kind so um this is really a compelling a compelling book so email me first two people steve at stevewings.com i will get you a copy of these books uh seth any last things you wanted to say no, just I think, uh, you know, recovery is for everyone. I mean, if, if you don't know what it means to be intimate with Christ, if you don't know what it means to be connected, then 
recovery is still for you, right? This is the human process of recovering from whatever it is that sort of keeps us from being primarily connected to God and to the divine. And so um, I think my challenge is just don't, don't write off recovery because you don't have a drinking problem or an eating disorder or a gambling problem. Um, if you don't feel that connection that you long for with, with what is sacred, then recovery is for you. Exactly. And I love your line. I suppose we're all drunk on something. I mean, that yeah. is just one of the best lines I've ever read. And it's true. You know, it's true. I think in one of those moments, sort of at the end of the day, the big sigh, the big, ah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But then that's this freeing thing where it's like, okay, well, really, none of us are all that alone. If I mean, if we're all drunk on something, um, then, then there's room for us. And I love, you know, sort of Richard Rohr's thought on the darkness can lead you to light. The demons can become the angels when you can be transformed into angels when you're honest about it. And that's what yeah. I hear you saying too. So beautiful man. Yeah. Well, I'm going to include all these uh, links that Seth talked about on the show notes. So sethhaines.com. You can get in touch with Seth and just kind of see everything he's up to. Uh, tinyletter.com slash Seth Haynes is where you can get in touch with, um, and the, I'm a subscriber to this, you guys, it's really short thoughts that you get. Seth, how, how often is it? Is it every other week? I can't remember, is it every I, week? Yeah, I send my tiny letter about every other week. Uh, looking back at my archives yesterday, it looks like I take July off just fortuitously for the last like three years. So uh, every other week except in July where I take a vacation, so. Beautiful. And then I'm gonna also put the link to where you can purchase uh, Coming Clean, uh, you can get it on ebook, Kindle, or uh, paperback. Uh, is it audio yet? Oh, you know what? I can. Uh, um, can you? The other thing I want to say is Seth has a Patreon page where you can. Um, he's releasing these. Right now they're free. He's releasing these serial chapters uh, of this story he's writing, which is so good. And you can also, uh, if you so if you support him uh, on Patreon, you can do that. So I'm going to put a link to that. But you can also listen to him reading. Is it the first chapter of Coming Clean? Right now it's the first two. But I had a couple of Patreon subscribers ask me yesterday if I would just do the whole book. Okay. Uh, so over the next year, I, I think I might just keep reading, you know, releasing one new segment a week. Um, yeah. So, yeah, my Patreon subscribers should be able to listen to the whole book over time. So I'm one of Seth's Patreon su subscribers as well, and um, so I'm smoking what I'm selling here. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. I love reading your stuff, Seth, and I love That's our great. friendship. Um, you, Your friendship is one of the great, um, delightful surprises of me becoming an author. Um, and so I just really appreciate you, appreciate the work that you do in the world and the humility with which you carry yourself and your work. And I love you, man. Um, and thanks yeah. for this, this, I can't wait for people to hear this. Uh, thanks Steve. I appreciate it. And I feel the same way, man. Keep making the world whole, keep doing your best. You're, <laughs> you're doing beautiful work and yeah, man, I love you too. I, I miss you. I want to hang out soon. We're going to do it, on man. Back, We're, on the back porch. On I'm going to get porch. down to Arkansas. This is, I've never been there. This is a thing that has to happen before 2018 ends. So let's make it. Let's make it happen. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow me on Facebook at Steve Ween's Author, 
Twitter at Steve Weens and Instagram at Steve Weens. And you can find all my work, all my books, the show notes, all kinds of other fun stuff on my website, steveweens.com. And please consider supporting me on Patreon. Lots of fun benefits for all levels of patrons. Check it out at patreon.com slash this good word. Suburban